Good morning, saints. You, uh, you may detect a bit of roughness in my voice. Um, Barb's birthday was last Sunday, and uh, as you might have expected, that snowstorm was part of her birthday present. Um, she always prays for that type of thing, and we had uh, family over, so there were 13 people in our house for three days. Um, it was a blast, not something I want to do every week, okay? Um, but uh, our, some of the, some of the um, family was not feeling well, and, and our family has always been of the opinion of the, uh, the old adage, it is better to give than to receive, and they like to give. And um, So, <clears throat> unfortunately, I was on the receiving end. So, yeah, um, but we're going we're gonna to do this. It's going to be good. Looking forward to it, actually. Um, I'm going to talk to you about joy this morning. So I think this is a really important topic for us. When the, when the elders gathered a couple of weeks ago to talk about and pray about, um, after having individually prayed um, quite a bit on our own, about our direction for this year, um, one of the first things that came up was joy. And I'm convinced it's at least in part because um, there is, in our culture, there is this hyper fear, anxiety that's going on all over the place in every arena right now. There's a verse in Joel 1 that really strikes me. All the fruit trees have dried up and the people's joy has dried up with them. That reminds me so much of our culture right now. Um, Joy has dried up everywhere you turn. You see anxiety and fear. People are worried about practically everything today. Um, Somebody told me about something on the, the CDC website and I had to check it out myself to to make sure, you know, most people who die with COVID don't die simply because of COVID. It's what they refer to as a comorbidity. Something else along with COVID causes them to to get pushed over the edge. And and on the CDC website, there's a whole list of things in order um, of, of, you know, the the most prominent one in in order. Okay, so, so the first one, which I guess I probably would have expected was obesity. But the second one that's listed, the number two reason that people die with with COVID is anxiety and fear-related disorders. What? Anxiety and fear-related disorders. If you watch the news, I don't, and this is not a partisan thing at all, I don't care what news you watch or listen to, there is an element of fear that is being put inside of us and as a culture, we are eating that stuff up. And we are anxious and we are worried. And it's not just about COVID. I mean, race relations are just plummeting like crazy. The, the moral fiber of our culture has fallen apart in so many ways. People seem to be at one another's throats on every kind of issue there is. There's there's just this pervasive fear and anxiety. And here's the deal. You cannot be joyful and have anxiety and fear at the same time, simultaneously. Those two are are, are mutually exclusive, if you will. Um, they, They cannot coexist simultaneously. But as the church, we have something better to offer author and Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, he said this, the prophetic tasks of the church are, and then he lists three things, and I wish I had time to unpack all three of these, but I don't. I just want to go to the the third one. Well, I'll read the the others. The prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. Now, there's a concept. 
grieve in a society that practices denial, and express hope in a society that lives in despair. That's part of our role as the church, is to express hope, to, to let people see, hey, you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. There's something better. I want you just to think about this for a minute. As I, as I was studying, looking, um, researching for this message, I came across a, a question. So I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time you saw joy? I'm not talking about somebody smiling at you. I'm talking about pure, true, unadulterated joy. Get that picture in your mind because that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we consider what you would speak to us today, Lord, that you would clear away anything that would cause us to, to not receive from you, Lord, any past habits, any, any things that, that might be weighing us down and cause us to look honestly and truly at what your word says, and Lord, to take those things into us willingly and, 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 and confidently because you are the one that is leading and guiding. Lord, we trust you to do that, even here right now. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by saying the obvious, that joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 lists out nine different things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I don't think honestly, that we can look at that list there and say that that, that is in any type of order, that, they're, that, that that's like a hierarchy or something like that there. Um, I don't think we can say that clearly and plainly. But I will say this. If somebody asked you to make a list, I don't know, let's make a list of, of all sports, where are you going to start? Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start. We're going to start with the most. Thank you, Steve. We're going to start with the most prominent ones, okay? And as we go along, then we're going to get. You know, if it even if we even remember, we're going to get to things like rugby and water polo, and you know, I don't know. Yeah, cricket. Yeah. So so, but but we're going to start with the ones that are the most important. It's just the the way that we would think. So so I find it interesting that joy is the second one mentioned in this list, and it's right after love. I mean, that seems like a really big deal to me. Think about it. Jesus said that people would know we're his disciples because we love one another. When, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. The night before he went to the cross, he said, love one another as I have loved you. If you could... If you could sum up Jesus' teaching in a single word, you can't, all right? But if you could, what's the word you're going to pick? You're going to pick love. And so clearly when Paul wrote that, uh, that list of the fruit of the Spirit, love is the first one, but I find it interesting to note that joy is the second one listed there. And joy is this prominent thing as we read through the New Testament. The, the word joy in the Greek is the word kara. It is found 61 times in the New Testament. The word rejoicing, and you need to know what that, that one, because it's, it's the word Cairo, but it's, uh, it's found 78 times, but it's the, the verb form of joy. 
It's how it comes out. We sing songs. We rejoice joy, all right? So all total, 139 times this is in the New Testament. This seems like it's a pretty big deal. And I would suggest that that love and joy are intrinsically tied together. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9, Jesus is talking, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Again, big deal for Jesus, right? Love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, so he's saying, I want you to abide in my love, but the way that you know that is by you're, you're doing what I'm telling you to do, okay? And then immediately he says, these things I have spoken to you, why? That your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I want you to abide in my love. I want you to follow what I'm telling you to do so that your joy may be full and that my joy might abide in you. There is a clear connection here between that love and that joy. So this isn't, this isn't like something nice that we thought might be good to talk about. This is deep and big and wide in the New Testament, and we need to understand it better. And I think too often that we misunderstand joy. We think it's like, we think it's like happiness on steroids or something. At least happiness kind of kicked up a notch. And in fact... If you go to to dictionary.com, the first definition there of joy is this, the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. So, So it's based on circumstances. Good things happen. We are joyful. So that's one idea of joy, all right? But there are also... Christians who will tell you that it is purely a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit, comes about from God. That's all his work in us. But there are other Christians that will tell you that it's something that we need to pursue, that we need to to go after it in order to experience it. Well, honestly, from a biblical perspective, I think all three of those are true. It is an emotion, and it's based on circumstances, and some of you are kind of bristling right now. Don't worry, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. But it's also a work of the Holy Spirit, but it's also something that we have to uh, uh, cooperate with the Holy Spirit and go after. Now, you, uh, if you've been here for a while, you, you may have noticed that there are times when I'm talking about something, and I'll talk about something else and then relate it back to what I was talking about. I'm going to do that right now because, again, I think there's a connection between joy and love. So I want to talk about love for a minute. Um, Think about it this way. In our culture, most people would say that love is purely an emotion. It's something that we kind of stumble into, something that we happen across, right? Um, You know, that whole, I think I'm falling in love, right? Isn't that how our culture thinks? And, and, and I'm not saying that there is not an emotional aspect to love. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure there is. And I think that's a good thing. You know, the first time I saw the woman that is now my wife, I was smitten. Study hall, high school, I was a sophomore, she was a freshman. Like, whew, I'm liking that one. She didn't want to have anything to do with me, but that's another story. <clears throat> Several years later, we got married that day. Those emotions were even higher. I'm like, I'm getting the prize. I got her. Forty-some years later now, 
I think the emotions are even higher. I think the room lights up when she walks in. But see, that doesn't just happen without working at it. Those emotions don't stick around that long without some involvement. Wait, what? Work at it? Well, even though there is an obvious emotional aspect to love, right? If you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's not just an emotion. Being patient and kind requires work. Love is patient, love is kind, right? Not seeking your own way requires effort on our part. Love does not seek its own way. You with me? So it's not just an emotion. It also requires some effort on our part. So true biblical love is not just an emotion. It's also a commitment. It takes that effort. We don't just, we don't just stumble across it. We don't just kind of fall into it or fall out of it. It requires intentional effort on our part. But that's still not the whole story because love is also a fruit of the Spirit, which means Holy Spirit is involved in the whole process, right? I mean, if, if it's a fruit of the Spirit, then he obviously has to be involved if that's part of it. Now, I can't say exactly what his involvement is. I don't think any of us can say exactly what his involvement is. But if it's fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit's got to be involved. So if we understand all that, we can honestly say that there is an emotional aspect to love, that we have a role in, in, in playing to, to bring about love, and God has a hand in bringing about love. Are you, you with me so far? You following me? Okay. Haven't lost anybody? So here's why I'm telling you all that, because I think joy is the same way. It's not just a, a fleeting fear, feeling. It doesn't just pop by occasionally. Um, in the same way that love is a part of the, the spirit, so is joy. So it's, it's not just the, the emotion. It's, it, it's, it's the fruit of the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. But that doesn't mean that we can do anything that we want to and that God is going to infuse us with joy. We have a role in it. We have a part to play in that whole thing. If, if we're not allowing Holy Spirit to work in our lives, then the fruit that he wants to bear in us is not going to come about. We have to cooperate with him. We have to be willing to, to allow him to work. It's not something that we just work up on our own. I will have more joy today. That's not going to work. No, but it does come from him working in us, of allowing his spirit to work in us. But if we understand that, that it's him working in us, there's still a catch to that because he generally won't work in us without our cooperation. He's not going to force us. We have to allow him to do what he wants to do. We have to be uh, intentionally allowing him to work in us, to, to be fellowshipping with him to see that fruit coming forth. If, if you and I are running in the opposite direction, away from him, guess what? We're not going to see the fruit in our lives that he wants there, right? So we're going to look at those three aspects, that joy is an, an emotion that comes about by circumstances, that it requires effort on our part, and that the, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to start with the emotion part. Acts chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice. And many who were par paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. Something happened. There were demon-possessed people that were, were delivered. There were people that were healed. 
And it says, so, that so there could be defined as because of this, right? All the stuff that just happened because of this, much joy in that city. So it was circumstances, things that were, were exciting, things that were going on, people being delivered, people being healed. And because of that, there was joy in that city. So it's an emotion that comes about because of circumstances. And don't get ahead of me here. We're going to make sure we balance this out, all right? Think about the, the same kind of thing in, in Acts chapter 12 when the, the angel led Peter out of prison. You remember that? And he goes to where the, the, the disciples are gathered and they're praying for him. And, and remember Rhoda, the servant girl, she hears him knocking. I hear you knocking. Never mind. Um, but uh, and she does, it, it says in her joy, is that what it says there? Yeah, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran. So, so she leaves him standing out there. She's so excited that he's there. But she forgets to open the gate because she's so excited. But it's because of her joy, she forgot to open the gate. Why is she so joyful? Because Peter was there, the person they've been praying for. It's a, an emotion brought about by circumstances. You following me? And then one other verse on this one, uh, Psalm 105, verse 43. The, the context here is when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, it says, so he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. They were, they were beside themselves. They had just seen miracle after miracle that God had done on their behalf. And the final one, the opening of the Red Sea and the wiping out of Pharaoh's army. Remember, they're on the, on the shore on the other side and they're singing and dancing. There is joy there because of the things that they had just seen. It's an emotion that was brought about by circumstances, all right? So let's get practical. What could that look like in our lives as individuals? Let's say someone gives you a winning lottery ticket worth $4.2 million. Whoa. Because, see, I know you wouldn't have bought that on your own. Somebody told me that the lottery is a tax on people that are bad at math. I, I like that. So I know you wouldn't have bought it on your own, but let's say somebody gave you a winning lottery ticket. My, my, uh, my brother-in-law in Wisconsin has several times uh, on my birthday sent me Wisconsin lottery tickets. Actually, I, I, I won $5 once, which meant that I had to go onto the Wisconsin lottery uh, website and find the form and print out the form, fill out the form, um, put it and the ticket into an envelope, address it to the Wisconsin lottery, put it in the mail, send it off, and three or four weeks later, I got a check for $5. Yeah, it was very exciting. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it would have been better off in the long run him just sending me the, I don't know, $30 or so that he spent on lottery tickets over the years. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a nice gesture. So let's say somebody gave you a winning lottery ticket worth $4.2 million. You are... You are happy. No, you are really super happy. You are overjoyed. $4.2 million. This is big stuff, right? But then a hacker hacks into your bank account and steals the money. But not to worry, you are insured up to $100,000. So you have just lost $4.1 million. You are no longer quite as overjoyed as you were before. Are you with me? $100,000 is still nice, but... Joy, an emotion brought about by circumstances. You following what I'm saying? 
But from a biblical perspective, there is more to understanding that than just what I just said right there. Because you and I have circumstances that we haven't yet seen, that we know about. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project said it like this, the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. It's not about right here and now. It's about what we've got waiting for us in the future. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, know, do, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We can have joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Because we look forward to something that is far better. We look forward to eternity with God, eternal salvation with him. Are you following me? It's not just about circumstances here and now. It is about circumstances, but it's not about just the ones here and now. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's not just about the present circumstances. No one in the natural, just in our fleshly nature, if you will, rejoices over fiery trials. We don't. It's not a normal human reaction. But because we know we've got something greater waiting for us, guess what? We can do that. We can still be joyful even in the midst of those things. I mean, think about the, the verse that we hear every Easter, basically. If, if Christ isn't raised, then we of all people are most to be pitied. But he is raised, and therefore we can have joy. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We've got something greater waiting for us. We can still have joy regardless of what we're facing here and now because we know there's something better. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. It says this. This is Paul writing this. I want you to think about Paul and all you know about him. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Those things do not sound like a lot of fun to me. And yet Paul is embracing those things. Starts to get a little bit better. He says, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and power of God with the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and for the left. That sounds a little better. And then there's kind of this back and forth thing that happens through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We're treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I love that, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You know, most of us, cannot even begin to relate to the, the depth of suffering that the Apostle Paul went through in his life. Five times he was whipped by his own countrymen, 39 lashes each time. You know, I, one time like that would have been far more than enough for me, all right? Five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and a night in the open sea. He was stoned and left for dead. And that same apostle Paul says, we have sorrow. 
but we're joyful. Always rejoicing. One translation says, we know sorrow, but our joy is inextinguishable. You can't put it out. I love that. Paul is saying, I may have troubles, but I've got joy. I may have problems, but I've got joy. I may have trials, but I've got joy. I may not have a lot of money, but I've got joy. I may have difficulties in life, but I've got joy. So joy, from from one perspective, is an emotion that's brought about by circumstances, but not just current circumstances. We as Christians know there's something greater waiting for us, all right? Billy Graham said, no matter how foreboding the future, the Christian knows the end of the story, and it is glorious. Don't lose heart. The best is yet to be. It's true. Some of you know that um, there was a, a man named Tim Hansel, writer and speaker, who at a time in my life um, that was rather forming in me, uh, was uh, he he spoke into me quite a bit and uh, really adjusted some things in my thinking. Tim Hansel, in case you don't know, was a, a, a physical education instructor who loved mountain climbing. And one day he was mountain climbing and he had a fall. He fell, as I recall, the equivalent of four or five stories straight down onto a rock, onto his back. And as a result of that, lived the next few decades every single day in constant pain. And it was in the midst of that that Tim Hansel wrote this. He said, pain is inevitable Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. We cannot avoid pain, but we can avoid joy. God has given us such immense freedom that he will allow us to be as miserable as we want to be. I know some people who spend their entire lives practicing being unhappy, diligently pursuing joylessness. They get more mileage from having people feel sorry for them than from choosing to live out their lives in the context of joy. My guess is that all of us know people like that. My hope is that we are not people like that. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I think it bears repeating. This was probably close to 25 years ago. Um, Barb and I had gotten some really bad news about the financial condition of Training Resources, the organization that uh, employed us. And Training Resources sounds like this big, massive organization. It is and was then, basically Barb and me. So if I got bad news about the financial condition, it's going to affect me, everybody with me, all right? And in in theory, it's going to affect her too, but you're going to find out who really is the most mature one in our family here. Um, So... I'm bumming because of this bad news, and we're in our office working, and you have to understand that just before this, just prior to this, we had read the, um, the, the children's version of the, the John Bunyan classic, Pilgrim's Progress, and still to this day, probably the, the, one of the most poignant uh, little vignettes in that whole story for me um, was the time when Christian traveling along with a fellow pilgrim named Hopeful, they, uh, they got tired and they laid down in a field there next to the path. And while they were asleep, a giant named Despair, 
Anybody encountered that giant named Despair? He came along and he picked them up and carried them off to his castle and he put them in his dungeon and while he had them locked up there, he didn't treat them very well. He often withheld food from them and he tortured them and he offered them poison. He said, you may as well drink this and get it over with because you're going to die here just like everybody else has in the past. And uh, Christian was close to taking that poison and Hopeful talked him out of it. And then finally... Christian remembered that earlier in the journey that someone had given him a key. They'd called it a key of promise. Anybody here know any great and precious promises from the word? He reached into his pocket, pulled out the key, tried it in the door, and sure enough, they walked out of there free. So flashback to the bad news about the training resources finances. Barb and I are in our office working and I'm obviously bummed. I'm banging a little harder on the keys on my keyboard on my computer than I normally would have. And she looks at me and she says, that giant despair has really got you, doesn't he? Did you check your pocket for any keys? Now that should have done it. That should have been enough right there. But I was really bummed this particular day, so didn't quite get through to me. And so... I continued working, and she starts humming a song. Now, I can't assume that uh, you would know the song that she was humming, but I knew exactly what she was saying to me. The song goes like this. Bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears, God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. But I was just humming it. (laughs) But I knew the words. And I jumped up and I said, okay, okay, I'm getting it. And right then and there, I chose joy. Didn't change the situation immediately, but it changed me immediately. I knew there was something greater waiting. And the stuff that I'm going through here and now, not that big of a deal. Joy is obviously an emotion that is brought about by circumstances, but not just our present circumstances. We as Christians have a different vantage point, and we can look to the future. All right, so we see that aspect of the the emotion. Let's move on. Let's talk about it as a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Think about when Paul and, and Barnabas were in Antioch. They were preaching to the Gentiles there, amazing things happening. People responding in amazing ways. Acts chapter 13 says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews, in sight of the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were, and I intentionally stopped there in the notes in case you didn't notice that, because I just want you to ponder this. You know, if you're one of the disciples, you just got booted out of this area because these people were stirring up trouble What's your normal, natural response? I mean, I'm thinking that many of us would be going, I'm, I'm just frustrated. I'm just disgusted with this whole thing. 
That's how we would often respond. And yet what it says is the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I would suggest that the reason they were filled with joy is because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We said it earlier, uh, Daryl shared the verse, in your presence is fullness of joy, right? We come into his presence, there's a fullness of joy. The Holy Spirit brought that with them. Think of the passage that we probably all know, we all know and don't like as much. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know, on our own, just given to ourselves, our normal human nature, Joy is not the normal reaction that we have to, to the trials of various kinds, are they? I mean, that's just not, not how we think. But if Holy Spirit is in us and leading us and guiding us and filling us more and more, guess what? That's going to be the reaction because it's a fruit of Him at work in us. And I would suggest that that's exactly what happened to Jesus in the passage we're about to look at in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was Holy Spirit working in Jesus that allowed him to see that end result. How else do you endure the word that it was used there, the agonies of the crucifixion. If Holy Spirit hadn't enabled him to see the final outcome, hadn't, hadn't let him see that joy that was before him, you know, the final chapter would have been a whole lot different. But it was for the joy that was set before him. Holy Spirit let him see that. So from a biblical perspective, Beyond just emotion, joy is also a work of Holy Spirit. We could say that it's, it's an evidence of his work in our lives. It's his fruit being displayed in us. And if it's not being displayed in us, then we have to wonder whether he's actually at work in us. Ooh, sorry for stepping on toes there. But, uh... but there is a catch to all of this. Much of our Christian walk is a from our perspective, a cooperation, can I say it that way, with, between God and us. The Bible refers to us as his co-laborers. It's not just his work, it's not just our work, it's both. Holy Spirit and us co-laboring together. Both sides cooperating together as necessary. See, if one side stops putting forth the effort, and by the way, that will never, ever, 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 ever be from God's side. But if one side stops putting forth the effort, do I need to spell that out any more clearly? Okay, just want to make sure. Then the whole thing falls apart. If you choose to not cooperate, then he won't force you into submission. Not going to happen. Here, think about this. Very short verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says, rejoice always. Some translations say, be joyful always. So, Think about this. What kind of a statement is that? Is it a, is it a question? Is it a promise? 
It's a command, exactly. So we're told that we're supposed to be joyful always. We have to be in cooperation with Holy Spirit in order to make this work. If we say, oh, nope, not going to do it, he's not going to force us. You know, there's a lot of people that would tell you that um, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony was perhaps the best symphony ever written to that point in history. Uh, it incorporated a whole bunch of new instruments that had never been used. It incorporated um, uh, human voices for the first time in a symphony. And, and, and Beethoven wrote it uh, just a few years before he passed away. And at the end of it, the, where the, 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 the chorus, the people singing, come in, um, you probably, if you know anything about it, it's, it's called The Ode to Joy. And uh, it, it was actually a, a poem that had been written sometime before, and, and Beethoven wrote this incredible music to go with it. But the, the, it starts off vocally. Oh, friends, no more of these sounds. Let us sing more cheerful songs, more songs full of joy, joy, joy. Joy, bright spark of divinity. I love those words there because it's acknowledging that this thing from God, this joy that we need to have. And then it goes on from there. And I find it fascinating to note that history tells us that when that ode to joy was finished, the very first performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, at the end of that, that the entire audience, as if on command, stood and cheered because it had generated such joy but the interesting thing from my part, my perspective, is that somebody had to point that out to Beethoven. One of the singers had to reach over and tap him on the shoulder because he couldn't hear it. He had been deaf for 10 years. I'm a musician. I'm a mediocre musician. I can't fathom what it would like, be like for a musician the caliber of Beethoven to be deaf for 10 years. And Beethoven could have said, I'm not, not content with my lot in life. I'm not going to be joyful. Beethoven could have said, God, when you heal me, I'll write a great piece of music about joy. But he didn't. Beethoven decided right then and there in the midst of that awful situation, he looked forward. He knew there was something greater waiting for him. And he decided to express that joy even in the midst of that. He chose joy. And you and I can do the same. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Go and enjoy, enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Another Tim Hansel quote. I cannot choose to be strong, but I can choose to be joyful. And when I am willing to do that, strength will follow. Whew. What a great statement. We have a role to play in this whole joyful 
joy thing. It's initially based on circumstances. And for us as Christians, eternal circumstances, all right? It's a fruit of the Spirit, but we also have a role to play in, in help bringing it about. I'm going to repeat a quote that I shared at the beginning from Walter Brueggemann. The prophetic tasks of the church are to express hope in a society that lives in despair. What if we did that? What if people in our culture saw this people that were joyful wherever they were, that it was a joy that was tangible, that it was a joy that was inexpressible, that regardless of whatever situation might be, that we still exuded joy. I got to think that would have an effect on people around us. You and I have that joy already. It's there. We just need to let it out. This verse is not in your notes, but Isaiah 51.11, promise for eternity, the ransom to the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. And because I can imagine that day now, I can be joyful now. I can imagine that's going to happen. And because of that, I can be joyful here and now. As I was preparing for this message, I had the very distinct impression that there are some here that you need to pray Psalm 51.12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Father, we ask for that. Lord, in those areas where we have not been expressing joy the way that you desire for us to, we ask that you would dial it up in us, that you would remind us, that you would bring us back to that place, that joy becomes a part of who we are again. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation, that we might walk in it, that we might uh, see it in each other and encourage that and that we might see it in ourselves more and more because you are at work and because we are, are cooperating with you. Lord, keep our eyes focused on you and eternity with you and cause that joy to more and more well up in us day after day. Amen. Amen.